podcast with me, Susie Chase. I'm Andre Darlington. This is Tania Darlington, and we're talking about our new book, Booze and Vinyl. Hello. In Booze and Vinyl, you wrote, In the semi-darkness, the amp and tuner of our father's hi-fi glowed like the dashboard of a car on a dark highway. Talk about memories of listening parties at home. <laughs> our parents, my father was a musician, so he would have other musicians over, and the turntable really played this central role, almost like a fireplace in our household. And some of our earliest memories were lying on the carpet in the living room, listening to mostly classical music. Yeah, I can remember our parents having friends, or our parents had us when they were pretty young, and so they didn't have a lot of money for it going to movies and things like that so their friends would come over in the evenings you know i can remember guys coming with records under their arms um our mom and dad making gin and tonics the candles coming out the lights would go down and the adults would all just kind of sack out on couches in the living room and listen to records all evening long because our parents were musicians they met in an orchestra and all their friends were musicians i mean these were deep listening sessions. <laughs> there was chit-chat going on. Multiple no. versions of Mahler or Brahms. <laughs> wow. Recorded in different years with different conductors <laughs> argued over. So we really grew up only with records and we also listened to records every night with our parents when we cooked and ate dinner. It was like a ritual. That's when the Ravi Shankar came Yeah, out. Ravi Shankar. <laughs> then we got Simon and Garfunkel. Our mom had a brief, you know, affair uh, with John Denver. Not literally, but um, she heard about Johnny Carson. <laughs> so records came into the house regularly and of course Andre and I would go to the library and we'd get rock and roll records and we'd play them when our parents went home. <laughs> so your parents were okay with the rock and roll records? Were they stuck in a genre or were they fine with everything? We were not fine with everything because our dad couldn't say anything that was slightly out of tune or anything that he called too raucous. <laughs> raucous. <laughs> so we could only play our own music when he was out of the house, which was pretty regular because he was traveling a lot and it worked summers and i think like most people it was a rock and roll self-education yes it was rock and roll <laughs> self-education you know we spent time at the roller link rink we'd be like "Ooh, another one bites the dust like what's that <laughs> <laughs> what was the criteria for the albums that you chose for the book well we really wanted to make sure that for one the vinyl was available there's a lot of albums that we love that are still that still haven't been reissued and when we looked they were you know in the 100 200 300 range so we wanted to make sure to, we had to cull some of those. Some of them have actually been re-released since we put this book out. But um, And then we wanted to have really good diversity. But overall, it was the albums that are still uh, really selling on vinyl. We really took an eye to what are people really gravitating to, which surprisingly are albums like OK Computer, um, which is not from the vinyl era, but is one of the most purchased albums on vinyl. And ACDC, which is a perennial yeah. top seller. It's not the number one <laughs> seller always. It seems if somebody goes and gets a, a turntable, boy, they put uh, ACDC on it first thing. Um, so there's some some attention to that. And we just wanted good albums. There's so many albums that are great albums, but are they have like three or four songs in a row that are real dogs and that you just don't want to listen to. So we wanted to make sure that there were albums that were really listenable. We also gave a lot of thought to the huge number of people in their 20s and early 30s getting into vinyl um, with 
the great resurgence that's underway. And we wanted to help people build a collection. So that's why we organized the book in four different chapters. And we really do include everything from jazz to a little bit of country to dance music, um, you know, to just like great women vocalists, because we wanted people to be able to seed a collection from this book. Give us a few tips for hosting a boozy listening party. Oh, we do this all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> I always like to have a drink in people's hands first thing. So if that means matching a cocktail or just throwing bubbles in a glass to people, the sooner that they, it makes people more comfortable and it makes people uh, willing to bring out maybe that weird album that they brought that they weren't sure whether they were going to bring out or not. <laughs> That's right. And that, that means, you know, chilling your glassware before they come over. You know, we just keep our glasses in our freezers at this point. So there's always a party <laughs> on the verge of happening. Um, batching some ice a night or two beforehand so your ice is fresh. Uh, going to the store and picking up fresh, you know, fresh garnish, garnish some mint, lemons, oranges. Pleasing those or making it really easy for your guests to do that. Um, and then just kind of setting the scene. So for each of the albums in the book, we imagined a listening party around it and we offered tips. So if it's, you know, you're going to have a boozy brunch, we suggest you know, the cocktails, but also what to eat with them. Um, it's really, it's really choose your own adventure and you can be as fussy as you'd like. Um, it can be everything from just making sure you have clean glassware and ice, which is a nice baseline, you know, to having, um, to really, you know, setting a certain mood with pillows or whatever. Absolutely. I mean, you don't need to have all the proper cocktail tools, even, you know, we always say a mason jar and a chopstick will get the job done. <laughs> um, but if you do have, you know, if you are building your own wet bar or bar cart, this can be a really fun time to, to test drive it. So the musical categories that you covered are rock, dance, chill, and seduce. And I wanted to go through one album in each category. So let's kick it off with rock. And I chose Sticky Fingers 1971 from the Rolling Stones. First album in the book. This is really a loose album from its cover by Andy Warhol with the iconic zipper. Um, and it's basically a crotch shot with, with a zipper and the, and the music follows through with that. The, the lyrics are um, kind of sleazy and sexy. This is sort of um, what we consider peak stones. I and mean, just a great listening album, a great drinking album. This obviously could have gone in the seduced category as well. Like so many of these, they're not hard and fast uh, rules, but uh, we did want to have a rock uh, section where people could kind of dance and know what that was, um, you know, know what, what kind of albums were going to be in there. And our first, you know, this is one of the first albums we agreed to put in the book. And we had so much fun thinking like sticky fingers. All right. Do you want cinnamon rolls? Is this a breakfast album? And we did end up choosing the theme of a boozy, a boozy brunch because we've often brunched with sticky fingers. Um, but this is sort of album where we imagine people getting up, putting it on on a Saturday or Sunday, making some pancakes or heating up some cinnamon rolls and then pouring um, I think it's a tequila sunrise for side A, right? Which is you've got your orange juice, you've got your tequila, and it's beautiful, uh, kind of red and gold drink. The story goes that Mick Jagger had a tequila sunrise while they were on tour for this album, and they never left his hand after that tour. He was obsessed with drinks, so they called this the tequila sunrise tour. Um, and our other cocktail is just a simple Jack Daniels, uh, Coca Cola, and Coors, which were. For whatever reason, three brands that got into Keith Richards' hands, and he's shown with them 
there's multiple pictures of him on stage uh, with all three of those lined up on the guitar amp. And we just thought that was fun. That was those are kind of the iconic things that, that he was drinking and were kind of breaking into mainstream at the time as well. Certainly Coors, Jack and, and Coke has been around for a long time, but I think. Um, and it turns out there's a, it's a pretty good combination. Yeah, so you get your side <laughs> A cocktail or you, and your B cocktail, or you can let you know guests choose which one they want, or you can do the Jack and Coke and Coors sort of like throughout the rest of late morning while you're flipping other records. <laughs> um, you know, there's no hard hand. Effect. Yeah, just have one hand. <laughs> And this also um, was the album that debuted the red, black, and white logo with the tongue and the lips. Yes. <laughs> the version, which is a version of Kali. Um, they had seen uh, you know, the Indian uh, goddess and decided that they wanted to have something like that on their album and it became this icon for them. So I, this is one of those albums where a lot came together for them. Of course, it was recorded at Muscle Shoals. Um, which maybe is where uh, in Tennessee, which is maybe where Keith got his uh, Jack, his penchant for Jack Daniels. <laughs> that would make sense. Um, but yeah, we just love this album. And, you know, it's got Andy Warhol, it's got the Collie Lips, it's got Rolling Stones uh, singing away. It's a little countryish too. You could tell that it was recorded at Muscle Shoals. Yeah, they really have the had this obsession. I think it even started in the album before this. This kind of obsession with that Tennessee Muscle Shoals sound. Um, and I think it just makes, it was such a perfect move for the Stones to go away from that sort of writ boy band to kind of mature into this um, country Americana sound. Plus, we were just down there in Nashville for an event, and it, it just permeates the air, it permeates your skin, the sound of honky-tonk music, you know, rolling out onto the streets at night. It's a I great mean, place to get inspiration exactly. to make Exactly. I mean, we couldn't stop listening to it time country after we went to like the Johnny Cash Museum and the, the Country Music Hall of Fame. It, it's kind of, it, if you, even if you don't like country, I think you go down there and it... it get the Jesus. You get the, the country Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I ate the wafer. <laughs> For the dance category, I chose Thriller, 1982, Michael Jackson. Huh. Such a great album. I can remember hearing this in a friend's basement on vinyl, you know, still <laughs> on shag carpet and everyone wearing parachute pants. Um, this, this was a no-brainer for us. It was another one of those easy-to-choose albums. Yeah, really the watershed album of the yeah, whole generation. Exactly. It really changed music, I think. And you think of all those kids in the, in the 80s with, you know, the little turntables that plugged into the walls. Parachute pants. Putting this on parachute <laughs> pants. <laughs> I had this on cassette. Oh, yes. really? And I listened on the dock of my dad's lake house in Texas, and I wore that cassette out, so I had to buy another one. Uh, <laughs> Under yeah, just how good it is. About it came from another another planet. It really did. It really did. So these. Uh, Cocktail pairings wrote themselves because, of course, you have to have a zombie. You, you know, watch Michael Jackson videos. You know the importance of zombies. Um, so that's our side A cocktail. And then our side B cocktail is a moonwalk, which was a really fun cocktail to be able to include in this book. because It's not very well known, but it is a classic drink. It was invented at the Savoy Hotel in London. It was actually created in honor of Neil Armstrong's uh, first steps on the moon. But it tied into Michael Jackson uh, perfectly. It's a delicious drink. It's a little bit like a very glamorous mimosa. It's Grand Marnier, 
fresh grapefruit juice, a few drops of rose water, and then you top it off with champagne and add a uh, grapefruit peel on the side. So you can serve this in a champagne food or you can do it in a food left. But it's really just a spectacular drink. It's so delicious. It's pretty too. It really is. It really is. For the chill category, I chose the Eagles 1975 Hotel California. <laughs> Great chill album. <laughs> One of those albums that's, that um, you know a lot of people from the younger generation think is overplayed. The song comes on too often. No. <laughs> the vinyl on, and it's just so amazing. It has a really, really unique sound. I mean, it almost defines the you know defines a whole genre of of chill. Um, kind of chill Americana, I guess, in a way. Um, it's such a, it's such a, you know, it, it, it almost goes, oh, yeah, it's just an amazing album. It's, it really was one of the albums that we fell in love with all over again. Right? And it just says summer. It says get out your boutique blankets, you know, <laughs> hang those paper lanterns in the trees. Cowboy boots, no socks. Exactly. <laughs> There's a weeping willow or a palm tree nearby. <laughs> um, you know, and then make some of those delicious summer drinks with parasols and cherries and uh, pineapple wedges on the side. So we have a, a beachcomber cocktail for side A and, of course, a classic mojito for side B. And it just gives a, a listening party around the Eagles a whole or just a whole new level. And, and what's fun about this album is like Thriller and like a few of it, actually even like the Frank Sinatra album and a few of the albums they were really thought of as concept albums. And I think that the, the Eagles thought of this as telling this story. And the albums that kind of tell, tell this cohesive story tended to make it into this book because not only are they you know, one of the greatest things ever recorded, but that storytelling keeps that similar vibe throughout the entire album from A side and B side and makes for really good hanging out and drinking albums. Mm-hmm. You can kind of go into the Eagles world the same way you can go into Michael Jackson world or go into Benny Garfunkel world or go into Frank Sinatra world. Right, and it's almost like discussing a piece of literature because you listen to it and you think, what is going on? I listen to Hotel California and it's kind of like reading Line of the Ancient Arrows. What <laughs> is this really about? What do you think it's about? Well, they say that it's about the excesses of America, that they were headed into the Los Angeles basin, and I think it sort of came to them, the idea of being in this house and American pop excess at that time, you know, references drugs and greed and just all of these really negative things, which is kind of fascinating because it's such a beautiful song. But, it, you know, it's a weepy song. It's a song of melancholy, I think, for... I don't know, lost innocence. You can read a lot into it, but it seems like, you know, here are these young young gents sort of getting eaten alive by the Los Angeles scene and what they see there. Last summer, I uh, went to the Classic East concert here in New York City and saw the Eagles with Deacon Fry. Oh, wow. And he looks just like Glenn, and everyone was, like, crying in the audience. Wow. What drink did you have in your hand? <laughs> I had a $15 can of Stella. Because <laughs> you know it's so expensive. I hope it was great. <laughs> it was the best Stella I've ever had. <laughs> so for the seduce category, I chose Marvin Gaye, 1973, What's Going On? 
yeah. has to be that, right? And it's it's this is breakfast in bed. So the last chapter of the book is seduced, and we just wanted those mellow morning vibes. We feel like I just want to stay in bed and flip records, um, or it's the record you put on when you bring somebody home at the end of the night, and you're like, yeah, like let's just hang out on the couch and listen. Um, but Marvin Gaye seems like the classic seduction album. Um, his voice is so rich and buttery. Uh, so we imagined, you know, someone bringing in a tray of breakfast with a mango avocado toast and a couple of drinks. Our side A pick is Soul Kiss Number Two, which is a whiskey drink. So. Um, it's a little heavy. It still keeps you in dreamland. I think, I think we can see both secretly hope that you can just every day you wake up and Marvin Gaye. <laughs> and a soul kiss number two. <laughs> a soul kiss also has um, freshly squeezed orange juice in it. So it's like a more masculine than most. And the Velvet Hammer is just That's a milkshake like the, for adults. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The Velvet Hammer, it's just three ingredients. So it's very easy to maintain. You keep this on hand or you can snatch it the night before. Um, it's Cointreau, coffee liqueur, and half and half, just keep it apart. So very simple drink to make. And it's like a lot of drinks in this book. We try to keep um, keep you in the zone of listening rather than spending all your time prepping in the kitchen. So a lot of the drinks in this book are two to three ingredient drinks. Oh, sorry, like the velvet hammer. So the two guys that were engineering this album accidentally mixed Marvin's two lead vocals together and produced a multi-layering effect that you can hear throughout the album. And I think that's what makes it good, too. He's kind of harmonizing with himself. It's one of the amazing accidents that I'm not sure happened as much anymore with digital recording. But back in those days when they were on tape and somebody was a little drunk and a little stoned, you get these stories of, well, I don't know, I actually hit the wrong button and then it was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you don't get that anymore. You don't get that anymore. It's like, you know, if you don't have a, you know, if you don't go flipping through vinyl records, you're not going to find that vinyl album that you pick up just based on the cover. Um, that's one of the things that was fun about, about doing this book, too, is just that, you know, how the, the vinyl stores are these social spaces and it has accidents like that, that analog has, the digital just doesn't. You don't. I mean, you get suggestions from Spotify and whatnot, which is really helpful, but it doesn't have the same magic, I think. But just, you know, I mean, some of my favorite albums are just albums that's on the cover. Absolutely. I feel like a record store you go in, it's, it, it engages your senses. Like, there's the smell of dust. There's the <laughs> visual allure of an album cover. And then there's the sound of what's ever playing, of people flipping around you. It's almost, I almost feel like they're a big church they're like an apothecary for the ears (laughs) (laughs) and i spent hours reading the liner notes oh Oh. right it's so fun when you get an album and the the art drops out and you just think you know all of these uh kids you know when they were growing up and having vinyl i mean us included you're living in the middle of nowhere you're socially isolated even if you're not socially isolated you could be in the East Coast and your parents are conservative to buy one of these Bell albums and have this like these liner notes fall out with these pictures of these crazy kooky <laughs> yeah. dressed up people that you're like, I don't know what this is, but it's amazing coming yeah. into my world. And it's such a it's vinyl has a real the, the album art is amazing. We got really lucky in that our graphic designer for this book really knocked it out of the park mm-hmm. and really uh, is a vinyl person himself. Um, and 
really pulls like the visual vernacular from each book, um, making these pages for this for Bruce Mile, which is it's just a beautifully done book. It's so many albums at the set for the photo shoot. We, and we did a four-day four photo shoot in a, a couple of Airbnb spaces for this book. And it was so much fun in between, you know, the shots to just sit on the bed and flip through albums that people brought in and, and folks were swapping albums and we were playing music. It was like yeah, one forty. We, we were DJing the whole it shoot. It just takes you back. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I... I I grew up in Kansas, and um, I would get all sorts of soul music albums, and they weren't playing this on the radio, so it was only in my albums, and I would sit there and read it and flip through and sit on the floor. You have to sit on the floor, right? Yeah, you do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about your book tour and the Crosley record truck. Yeah, so we had reached out to Crosley, and they had done a tour with Dogfish Head last year in um preparation or just before a record store day and we had actually our publisher moved the date of the book back to capture record store day we really wanted to be a part of record store day which is is for listeners i'm sure all of your listeners know but is basically christmas for the, for in small independent book, uh, record stores it's such an important day they when we were on this tour we visited record stores basically we went on tour in a mobile listening in a 30-foot mobile vinyl van what is it, mobile listening stations, basically? Mobile listening party. It's an old bread yeah. truck that had been rehabbed Converted. full so can, of uh, jukebox, a jukebox, turntables, and couches. So you can go inside and, and listen to all the albums. And we went from New York City to Nashville. And stopping all along the way, we did a number of, of the greatest uh, record stores in the United States from, from New York to Nashville. And they all said how important Record Store Day is and, and what a huge draw and that keeps uh, many of them in business or at least in the black. So we really wanted to be a part of that. And Crosley had been a part of that with Dogfish Head before. And we thought, you know, Crosley is making these, you know, I think they started $60 suitcase turntables, which really is a great way to get people engaged in, in vinyl. You can always move up to a more. When I was growing up, you had to have a very expensive hi-fi system still. You'd go into a record store and ask, you know, how do I get into vinyl? And they're like, well, it's $200 for the turntable. 300 for the amp, and then you have to spend about $500 on your speakers. But nowadays, you can really get one. Um, there's a number of companies selling these kind of lower-end um, turntables that are just magnificent to experience vinyl on. Where can we find you on the web and social media? We're uh, on Instagram at with the Darlingtons, and then we also have two websites, WithTheDarlingtons.com, which is sort of our general website for all of our books. Um, and then foosandvinyl.com is our splash page for the book, and that includes upcoming tour dates. I just adore this book because my whole childhood was literally sitting in front of the record player for hours on end, and I also DJ in New York City. So thanks for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. This was so much fun. Love Thank your you. podcast, Thank and thanks you so for having family. us on. Follow me on Instagram at Cookery by the Book. Twitter is I am Susie Chase. And download your kitchen mixtapes, Music to Cook By, on Spotify at Cookery by the Book. And as always, subscribe in Apple Podcasts.